So I'm going to continue with the sermon series, Encounters with Jesus. Today we're going to talk about the Samaritan woman at the well. And there's a significant reason as to why I've chosen this sermon series and why it should be especially important for you. And that is because even though it's been several thousand years from Nicodemus and several thousand years from the Samaritan woman at the well, you stand in the shoes of Nicodemus. You stand in the shoes of the Samaritan woman in the well. And so you are encountering Jesus every day. And as you encounter Jesus every day, the question is, how do I speak to a lost world? What does Jesus teach us here uh, in these lessons? And it's so poignant to me, and we have so much to learn, and I dearly hope that it touches your heart. Now, as we begin the Samaritan woman in the well, it's John chapter 4, and it's so interesting how the Bible is written. You see, it's juxtaposed. Nicodemus is chapter 3, the Samaritan woman is chapter 4, and there's a good reason why it's juxtaposed. It's juxtaposed because God is showing us the extent of salvation. You see, here you have Nicodemus, the holiest man, arguably, in all of Israel the leading rabbi, the head of the Sanhedrin, the man who was the great teacher in every possible way. And Jesus said, you need to be saved. You need to be born again. And now we're going to come across a woman who is arguably immoral, who is at the bottom of the food chain, as you would spell out righteousness. And there, as it's juxtaposed to Nicodemus, you also need to be saved. So it doesn't matter, you see, where you are in the panoply uh, of this world, whether you're at the high point or at the low point, we all need salvation. Amen? So this is just a critical thing to understand. Um, and so Jesus is developing the gospel, giving it to the world. Uh, and as we read these early chapters of John, you know, as he did the marriage of Canaan and did that miracle, Uh, and Jesus began to speak about his ministry, the Pharisees prodded him. They prodded him. They said, we need a sign. We need you to show a sign of who you are. Jesus refused. He refused to give them a sign. Uh, And there's an important verse in John chapter 2, verse 24, in which Jesus spells out precisely what he thinks of the the needfulness of man uh, to support his testimony. And it says there, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need a man's testimony about man, for he knew what is in a man. Jesus knew what is in a man. Jesus knows what's in our hearts. Jesus knows that's why he came to this world to die on a cross to deliver salvation. And so Nicodemus is brought forth as the first great example of what is needed in terms of salvation. Uh, And this becomes important. And now Jesus is going to meet this woman at the well in Samaria. And it's important for you to understand how Jews viewed Samaritans. They put Samaritans at the bottom of the food chain, right? They despised Samaritans. uh, And Samaritans despised Jews. A Jew would walk on the other side of the street if he saw a Samaritan coming. Um, And no self-respecting Jew would even walk into Samaria. He would go miles out of his way uh, to travel 
and be separated from the Samaritans. But Jesus, because he has a divine appointment, goes to Samaria and goes to this well and sits there on this well. And the point that I see here is that God has a divine appointment for all of us, all of us. And I pray that you recognize that because there is a time when God is speaking to you. And that clearly is this time where Jesus will see there and speak there to this woman as she approaches uh, the well. And Jesus will say to her, I'm going to give you the gift of life, the water of life, something that she never, ever dreamed possible. And so it's, it's incredible to think of the greater contrast between these two people, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, he's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. He's a Pharisee. She doesn't belong to any religious party. He is highly moral. She is not. Uh, he came at night to protect his reputation. She comes during the middle of the day because nobody wants to be around her. She's repudiated by the entire town. She had no reputation at all. Nicodemus came seeking Jesus. This woman didn't come to seek Jesus, but Jesus sought the woman in a divine appointment. You couldn't bring about a greater contrast. And God wants you to reflect on that today. Uh, if Nicodemus is an example of the fact that no one can rise so high as to not need salvation, it's also true that no one can go so low as not to need to be saved. And that's important for you to reflect on this. Uh, and so the other point of this is that Jesus and Christianity elevates women. You see this now. Uh, and Jesus will seek this woman. Jesus will speak to this woman. And what we find if we study the early treatises is that no rabbi would ever speak to a woman. In fact, if a woman came uh, into his visage, he would turn his face. Uh, and, and so women were in many ways reviled and not regarded highly, but you see Christianity comes and raises them to an entirely different level. Now here's the point. They both thought they were well with God. Nicodemus thought all of his religiosity carried the day with God. He never dreamed that he would be told he needed to be born again. And this woman, this Samaritan, thought that with her traditions, uh, that she was uh, superstitions, that she also was right with God. But it was clear that, that neither one of them, neither one of them was right with God. And Jesus will make that absolutely clear. And we're going to see that when we see the reaction of the woman at the well. Uh, and so as we see this and we see their different reactions, uh, Jesus speaks to the woman at the well about receiving living water, water that will save her for the rest of her life, water that will give her eternal life. And, and here's the thing that you need to know when you speak to people in the world who are not saved. They will not often understand spiritual things. And you have to pray that God dispenses his discernment on them so that they can accept it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, 
but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. That's why Nicodemus didn't understand what it meant to be born again. He kept thinking literally. And that's why this woman had trouble when Jesus said, I'm going to give you water. And she didn't understand it. She thought it was physical water, not understanding that it was a water far higher uh, with God. It was spiritual water. Uh, And so they they didn't think spiritually. And this is what you get with carnality. This is what the world is like. Uh, And it's so easy because as I researched this sermon, I found a quote from Augustine, that great bishop, uh, Christian bishop and uh, writer, Augustine, who wrote uh, in the year 375 as follows. He said, when he wrote about the best, when he confessed to God, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. How about that? You have been created by God to be restless until you seek him. And think about yourself. Think about how you lived your life, all those times in your life when you were outside the will of God, and yet you knew there was something not right, that there was a restlessness in your life. There was a hole in your heart that could only be filled with God. Well, that's exactly how you have been created. And that's what God wants. Uh, And so uh, as both of these people, as Nicodemus and the woman at the well, were lost lost spiritually, uh, they come really under, under the penumbra of that great verse in Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short. None of us. No matter where you are, no matter all the good things that you may have done, you have still fallen short from the glory of God, and you have sinned. And so God wants to deliver that message to us uh, today. And, and so here's Jesus in this traveling, going to Samaria, and, and he decides to sit at this well and sends his disciples into town to get provisions. Now, Do you think Jesus needed a rest? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Jesus decided he needed to be alone because there was a divine appointment where this woman would come. Uh, And God had prepared Jesus and this woman. And so this woman probably comes to the bottom of this hill where the well is. And the last thing she probably wanted to see was a Jew sitting there. You can imagine, right? Are you kidding me? I come out in the middle of the day, and this Jew is sitting here. He despises me. I despise him. He represents everything that's foreign to me. Uh, But when she comes to the well, she's astonished because Jesus speaks to her. He speaks to her. Uh, And and as she's getting ready to lower her bucket into the well, uh, Jesus asks her for a drink. He made a request. Please give me a drink of water. Now, he's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. No Jew would willingly speak to a Samaritan. Um, And so he arouses her curiosity as he asks for this will by offering a new kind of water, something different. And so when Jesus used the phrase living water, it should have had a spiritual meaning to her. 
all right? Because they knew the Bible. Many times, you see, in the Old Testament, uh, God is pictured as the one who alone can supply living water. That wasn't a new phrase with Jesus, living water. Uh, God had made that abundantly clear in the Old Testament. If you look in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, you'll see it on the board. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You will also see it in Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. There you see salvation being outlined in the Bible in the Old Testament, 700 years before Christ would come as being this free aspect of the heart of God. Come, buy. You don't need money. It's free without cost. It's salvation. It's eternal life. It is the water of life. Now, in the New Testament, it's also mentioned in the book of Revelation. Uh, there's a reference again to those same themes uh, in the promises of the end time. And again, look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. Again, come all you who are thirsty. Notice that continuing phrase. Come, you who are thirsty, you who need a Savior, you who need the water of life. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why? Because salvation is free. You can't put a dollar sign on salvation. It is the free gift of God. All it takes is for you to say, Lord, forgive me. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And as he, at that point, he reaches across eternity. And so you're going to see it in the life of this woman. And so up through verse 15 of the fourth chapter of John, uh, it's a typical colloquy between Jesus and this woman. Uh, but suddenly, you see, Jesus will jolt her out of her reverie. Suddenly, Jesus is going to say something to her that's going to snap her back on her heels. Uh, and it, he does this in verse 16, uh, where he says to her, go call your husband and come back. Go call your husband and come back. Well, she says, I, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, and look at this in John chapter 4, verse 17 to 18. It's on the, on the screen. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. This is quite a past this poor lady has had. Uh, it's amazing. You've had five husbands. Now, let's be fair. Culturally, we know that divorce then was in the hands of the husbands. They could determine they wanted to be uh, divorced. And it was incredibly easy in those days. They could just turn around and say, I divorced you three times, and you were divorced. Uh, and so in many ways, this lady could have been a victim. But nonetheless, obviously, she was being despised by the community. Uh, nonetheless, she understood that she, she was in pain. And Jesus went to the heart. Now, you see, when you speak to people who are lost, 
Jesus goes to their heart. Jesus gives them the very essence of what they need. And here her essence was her reputation. The way she'd been viewed by society uh, was trashed. And she needed someone to come into her life to lift her up. Uh, And so all at that very point in time, all of her pretensions vanished. Now she wasn't really just meeting with some Jewish guy. Now suddenly she recognized this man is some great prophet that God has put here uh, because this man knows her thoughts. He knows about her actions. He's exposed uh, her life to her. And I would say to you that the, the Bible is rather succinct here. I suspect that Jesus told her much more than just you've had five husbands. I suspect that Jesus must have really opened up about what he saw in her life. Um, And I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, which says there, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God sees your heart. I know many of us have a little closet in our heart that only we know about, some little sin, some little peccadillo that we have. But I want to assure you that God sees it all. And so when we come to the Lord, we have to recognize that, that we are an open book. Everything about us is known by God. And here he clearly reveals that with this woman. Now, the Bible also tells us that the entire world is caught up in sin. All of us caught up in sin. Galatians 3 Verse 22 says, but scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. There it is. It's that simple. Salvation given to those who believe. The handcuffs of sin cut off because of Jesus Christ. And so the point of this message, the point of the Samaritan woman at the well, is that all of us are condemned by whatever standard you propose, whatever morality standard you propose, because none of us in any way can live under the righteousness of God without salvation. Uh, But, and here's the but, there is no condemnation with God once we are saved. None. As far as the east is from the west, and this is a verse you need to know and be able to repeat to people who are lost. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Praise God. When you've been saved, God has freed you from from death. He's freed you from the impact of sin in your life. Yes, you're still going to fall, but you'll get on your knees and you say, Lord, help me, forgive me, wash me. And he pours his blood over you and forgives you in so many ways. Uh, And so here he is speaking one-on-one with this woman in this powerful dialogue. As he does this, Uh, In John 3, verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he.
oh my gosh, I'm speaking to God. Can you imagine that Jesus would make this revelation to this woman? And when you spread scripture, Jesus never really said this about himself personally, but to this one woman, the way he did. It's astonishing that God would do this. Jesus answers her briefly in one sentence. Yes, I am the Messiah. This truth finally broke through her consciousness, uh, through all of her superstitions and all of her past, wherever she would. And so you could see it. She decides immediately she leaves her water pots. In other words, she leaves her past. She leaves what she came with, and she runs back to town. And when she runs back to town, she delivers a great message. She said, could this be the Christ? Could it be the very words of Jesus were the turning point in this woman's conversion? Uh, and, and so you see it here. It's in this powerful way. Uh, and Jesus had made that statement several times also subsequently in John chapter 8, verse 24, where Jesus said, and this was where the Pharisees confronted him about who he was and what his call was and whether or not he was, in fact, the Messiah. And Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he you will indeed die in your sins. And then in verse 58, he said, Before Abraham was born, I am. I love that. I love that. Jesus didn't mince words. All right? When he said, I am, the hair on the back of their necks must have stiffened. Because they knew who was the only person in history who said, I am. It was God when he spoke to Moses in the burning bush. Who shall I say sent me? I am sent me. I am sent me. What kind of word is that? But you understand the Jews knew immediately uh, what that meant, yet they would not accept him, would not listen to him. Uh, and so she leaves Jesus and runs into the town to convey this message. And now the disciples come back. Um, and they see him talking to a woman, and they're astonished. They can't believe it. They understand Jewish regulations and Jewish law. Their leader is a rabbi. No rabbi speaks to a woman, uh, but they didn't realize that the woman had become born again. She is number one in the panoply of Christianity of people that accept Christ and become born again. She is the first clear example in the gospel of our Lord, of what it means to be born again. Now, how do we know that she was born again? Well, we know because we see a change uh, in her life. We see a change that took place. First of all, she was no longer concerned about her water pots. She left them. Uh, and, and then we see that she goes into town and begins a confession, telling these people, he told me all about myself. All right, everything that I did, she tells him about it. And here's the thing. When you are born again, you must make a public confession. You cannot be a secret believer. You know, so many of us have kept our Christianity experience quiet. You know, we don't want too many people to know. We don't want people to think, you know, you're one of those flakes. You know what it's like. But for Jesus, he expects you to make a public confession 
declaration, and I'll give you the proof on that. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my own Father in heaven. You know, when I was called to ministry, uh, and I've told you that story before, when I'm sitting in an empty church 45 minutes before, and that mentally handicapped woman brought her child in, that child came in, sat behind me, uh, and, and said those words when she was invited to be in a Bible study in a, a Sunday school. She was 16 years old, uh, and she was invited to be in, a, in a, a Sunday school, and she said, oh, yes, I love Jesus. He's my personal Savior, and I told you that at that point, God really put a sword through my heart, and I heard these words in my head. You see, you could speak in courtrooms over all over America, but I never once heard you say those words publicly about me. Oh, God, this is what it's about? This is what it's about. It's about me saying these words publicly. You expect me to proclaim your name publicly. It was clear that that was the call on my life. That's the call on your life. You can't be a secret Christian. God expects you to step up and speak about who he is and how he has changed your life. And so here you see it with this woman. She makes this public confession. She now goes into the town and she evangelizes. How about that? This lady with five past husbands now becomes one of the first great evangelists. Look, if you wonder what God can do with you and you're concerned because you have a past, let me tell you, God doesn't see your past. All he does is see your future. I want you to know that. Don't worry about your past. Don't worry about what you've done. Worry about how you can serve God, and you can see this here. So she does it in such a dynamic way that the entire town who reviled her a couple of hours before now follows her out to Jesus. Uh, and it's incredible. Look at John chapter 4, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And you can imagine what that had to be like. How gratified the Lord must have been to see this mob of people now coming out. All these Samaritans. He'd been called to evangelize the Jews and the first great outpouring of the Holy Spirit is on effectively Gentiles, Samaritans. You see how God works and what God can do with your own life? And so it was so great, and they loved him, and they accepted the Lord. It was like the first great tent meeting. How about that? All right? The first great tent meeting, except there was no tent. There was no tent, but there was the Holy Spirit. And so you see this incredible outpouring uh, of faith, so much so that they begged him to stay for several days. Now, can you imagine? The Jew and his disciples, Jewish now, staying with their Samaritan pals for two days because God had brought them into Christianity. This is what God does. Because you see, there's no respecter of race or ethnicity. When you accept Christ, all right, when you accept Christ, we're all one. 
We're one in the gospel of Christ Jesus. He doesn't see color. He doesn't see barrier. And that's what you see here in this great example. Really, it's a powerful example of salvation. And so what is the practical example here for you uh, in this? There's numerous lessons for you here uh, in this teaching. The first principle I would say to you is this. Be a friend to someone you are trying to win to the Lord. Be a friend. You understand? You need to have a relationship if you're going to talk about Jesus Christ. Show them what Jesus means to you. Display love and affection as you try to win them. Jesus did not teach isolation. Didn't, Jesus didn't tell us to live like hermits. and said he told us to go out in the world, to put our light on a hill, to show people who we are. All right? And that's what you need to understand. Second, ask questions. You notice how Jesus asked questions? You need to ask questions of people to see where they are, to see where, where their faith is, to see where their needs are. And Jesus then humbled himself to ask her for a favor. Give me, give me a drink of water. Now, Jesus didn't need her to give him a drink of water, but he did that because he was humbling himself. He was showing that he cared about her and that he needed her, and he wanted her to recognize that as, all, as well. And remember this, offer something relevant to the people that you're speaking to. Let them know what salvation means, how their lives will be changed. You know where they're in pain. You know what their needs are. Jesus saw this woman. She was reviled and at the bottom of the food chain in that town. And Jesus knew that through the new birth, she would be brought up. In fact, she would become a great evangelist. Uh, and these townspeople would be really following her in that regard. And then also stress the good news. Let them know that God doesn't care about their past. You understand? God doesn't care about what you did God just cares about your heart. Where are you going? What are you going to do to serve the kingdom of God? Look, we don't overlook sin. Let me make that clear. We don't overlook sin, but that's God's job. Your job is to deliver the message of hope and love. You understand? This is what God wants us to do. Je Jesus gently uncovered the sin of the woman so that she could repent and be right with God. Uh, in summary, as you look at this, you see all of the aspects of salvation. Midway through the conversation with the Lord, uh, the woman acknowledged her need, saying, give me this water. I need this water uh, so that I won't get thirsty again. She acknowledged that need. A few moments later, she confessed her sin. Uh, I have no husband. I'm living with somebody, but I have no husband. Third, she demonstrated a spiritual intelligence, discernment. I can see you are a prophet. Fourth, she affirmed her faith in Jesus. Could this be the Christ? Finally, she took the good news to the entire town and brought the entire town back out to the Lord. That's the essence of salvation. That's the essence of a changed life. Now, what can we learn from the Samaritan woman as it applies in a practical example for today? Uh, the, the interaction between Jesus and the woman can give us some great depths of study. The first is this, lesson number one, no matter what you experience in life, be kind to others. Be kind. Be affirming when you see somebody. Let them see your kindness. Let them see your compassion because nobody is going to be drawn to somebody who's stern. You understand? or a rule tasker. 
but be kind in every way. Uh, and so you see this here as you see this interaction between the Samaritan woman and Jesus. Secondly, Jesus broke the barriers against women. Jesus broke the barriers against women, and we are to break barriers today. There are so many people out in the sidewalk who are cut off from God uh, because we have imposed barriers. Well, God doesn't impose barriers. Your obligation is to go and speak to these people and love these people and bring them from the sidewalk into the church. God did this clearly as he did it here with the Samaritan woman on the well and broke those barriers about women. Uh, God set women free. The gospel of Jesus Christ set women free from societal norms and expectations as he did it here with the Samaritan woman. Also, Jesus wants us to see ourselves clearly. Look at ourselves. When, she, when Jesus saw that the Samaritan woman was not really engaging him seriously, he shocked her. It was shock therapy, all right? All of a sudden, when he said that to her, she was snapped back. You see, she couldn't just uh, banter with him uh, in the way you would normally banter in society. No, this was far different. This was God she was speaking to. By asking her about her past five husbands and the current state of her life, God forced her, Jesus forced her, to acknowledge the fact that she was not living a life worthy of God. And you see, we have an obligation to bring those kinds of things to attention uh, to those who are lost. lost. Every now and then, God has that to do to us the same way, to bring us back, to focus on how our lives are. It's hard to full surrender your life to God unless you confess. You can't ignore the warts in your life. And so I would say this, if there's aspects of your life, if there's a closet in your life that you've closed off, thinking God doesn't see it. He does see it. He sees your attitudes. He sees how you affirm or not affirm. And he sees how whether you are loving or not loving. You cannot advance in the kingdom of God. You cannot move forward. God cannot change your life until you fully open up your life in every way. Lesson four, Jesus wants you no matter what you have done or where you have been. This is maybe the most important lesson here. It doesn't matter about your past. You can go to someone, I don't care who they are. I don't care about what sins they've committed. If they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior and confess their sins, God takes away that sin, and they will spend eternity with God. That's the love of God, uh, and that's a message that the world earnestly needs. And I would say I want to impress that to you too. So if you're here today and concerned about things that you may have done in the past, God doesn't care. Just ask God to forgive you and accept you as your Lord and Savior. And finally, God is ready to reveal himself to those who are ready to accept. You see, this is a divine appointment. God makes these divine appointments for us. You may have to go and visit somebody. You may have to go and speak to somebody. I don't know what it is, but God will tell you. He will speak to you. Uh, and I can tell you many times I've felt that way where God has pushed me to go and speak, to see, 
It's the same with you. Be ready because God is preparing people that need to hear this. And so as we come and consider this, this great story, we recognize that all of us, all of us need Christ. And so I believe that there are people here today who have not really made a full determination and a full confession to Christ. It's not to me. You don't have to do this to me. This is between you and the Lord. And so I would ask you all to bow your heads right now, everyone, every head bowed. Father, we thank you for this message that you've given us. Lord, our hearts are alive with the realization that you are our God, that you have forgiven us, that we can spend eternity with you. And so, Father, to anyone who has not made that determination, I ask that they silently pray these words. Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Father, I confess that you are my Lord and Savior. Father, I commit to serve you and follow you all the days of my life. And I commit to be your servant forever. Lord, I ask you that this message be emboldened in our lives, that there are people that can say this today with the understanding and the reassurance that if they said that message today, they are saved, Father. And so we acknowledge it. We thank you for what you've done. Father, I ask you to continue to resonate this message in our heart. Let us leave here with a boldness and a purposefulness that we will go into the world and seek those who need to hear this message. Lord, I ask you that you bless this congregation and continue to use them to advance the kingdom of God in this world as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.